This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Good evening, Steve. Joe, how's it going, gentlemen? Going very well. Very, very well, guys. Glad to be here. Going to be a fun one tonight, I think, hey? Just Yes. Yeah, I think (laughs) we're going to get into some meat and potatoes here. It's uh, There's been a lot of talk around uh, the community as of late, the last couple of months here around, uh, you know, this uh, kind of this latest campaign that came out, uh, the large carnivore hunting and the social license to hunt paper that uh, was released by Chris Daramont and a bunch of his colleagues. So it's pretty interesting. It's uh, sparked a lot of debate. Um, and of course, the Wild Sheep Society BC has been quite active in this. Uh, you know, when this first came out right away, we had a press release out around this, um, you know, kind of taking a position statement on it. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of dialogue since. And uh, since then, we've released our Act Now campaign. And both you gentlemen are on there. So Joe, Steve, thank you for all the work you've done. And and spreading the word about, you know, the things that, you know, we've been sort of struggling with internally in the society with this paper and some of our concerns. So tonight we're going to focus on that. We're going to talk about what the Wild Sheep Society BC is doing, kind of the backstory, you know, where this came from, how we perceive it, and, you know, why we've kind of taken the stance we've taken. Um, we've got a little bit of, I don't know, feedback. Uh, I, I wouldn't say backlash, but there's been people out there kind of not understanding why we're doing this. So I really want to dig deep tonight on on why we've done this, why we're kind of, you know, why this is our hill to die on, if you will, uh, why we've taken a stand uh, and uh, and how kind of the Wild Sheep Society fits into all this. So, um, you know, let's start off with, I guess, um, talking about the Act Now campaign. And, um, you know, Steve, if you want to jump on that, on what the campaign is and, and what's involved there. Well, basically, it uh, it. It, it, it was something that we, we saw coming for the last couple of years, and we knew it was going to come to a head. And uh, I believe in January, we started to get some some waves that it was building. So we jumped out ahead of it there to try and rally people to engage their elected officials. And then, what, two, two and a bit weeks ago, three weeks ago, this paper dropped. And we knew it was time to put the wheels in motion to get a little more organized. So we created the Act Now campaign. And the idea of it is to get uh, hunters, conservationists, anglers, shooters, and anybody who wants to see wildlife on the on the landscape to get involved to to sign this paper and to engage their elected officials, as I said, to let them know that wildlife is more important to them than being managed socially. And the the end game of it is to have twenty five thousand letters physical delivered to. Uh, the legislature in june and that that's it in a nutshell 
Okay, so you mentioned anglers, shooters, um, and, and this campaign is not exclusive to the hunting community. You know, we're spearheading it. But why anglers? Why would they care? Why do shooters care? What, what's, what's the issue because there? Because we know that uh, it's the death by a thousand cuts. They're, they're not going to stop with uh, uh, the grizzly bear. Because if they would have, we wouldn't be dealing with this now. They're coming for wolves, black bear, uh, bighorn sheep are mentioned, elk are mentioned, cougars. They're going to chip away slowly. This has been the, uh, the MO across, not just across BC, but across North America and the world. You see it from uh, California going after the black bear into Africa with the uh, Cecil the lion, which we'll get into in a little bit. But anglers, we know some of these uh, organizations do not like catch and release fishing. And if you think they're going to give up on just catch and release fishing and leave fishing alone, it's, it's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it nicely. It's, uh, you got your head up your ass, right? Um, so shooters, you like going out into the backcountry? Well, guess what? Some of these groups do not want you recreating in the backcountry. So it's, it's about everybody. It's, it, as you say, it's, as somebody said, it's our hill to die on. If we want to die on it, we're going to. And as, as Joe said it beautifully, how many hills do we have left? So that's why everybody should care. Yeah. So Joe, maybe talk, touch on that a little bit. Like, why are we worried about, you know, bears and large carnivores? Um, you know, and, and I know there's a lot of people out there that are maybe saying, ah, you know, I, I, I hunt deer. I don't, I don't really believe in bear hunting anyway. So why do we need to take a stand on this? So like, why is that an issue for us? Uh, in, in my opinion, I think the biggest issue is um, this This isn't about our right or our perceived right to hunt. Um, this, this battle right now is about effective science-based management right. of our wildlife. Um, so, I mean, even you talk about shooters and anglers, this is anybody that truly enjoys our outdoors in British Columbia and cares about effective management of the wildlife that inhabits the hills around us. Um, it's not just about whether or not I can go out and fill my freezer with venison. If, if a scientist came to me or a biologist came to me next week and said, the blacktail in your area are, you know, decimated and we can't hunt them for X number of years. Perfect. Fine. If that's what the data says we need to do, I am 100% in support of that. But right now what's happening is we're, uh, politicalized, politicalizing, is that the right word for it? But politicalizing, uh, wildlife management and what, what that says to me is people don't care about the outcome as long as we're not offending people, as long as everybody's okay with what happens. And to me, that blows my mind because we talk about, um, you know, bear hunting is, is so much. Let's talk about black bear. Black bear hunting is, there are so many black bears in British Columbia. Um, for them to say it is purely a trophy hunt blows my mind. I absolutely love black bear meat. It's amazing. But at the same time, um, I like to hunt black bear in areas where I know I see a lot of black tailed does spend a lot of their time. Mm -hmm. So I want to try and pull some black bears out of those areas and help the ungulates out. I mean, we want to make sure that we're keeping an effective balance. We are part of nature, whether we like it or not, humans mm -hmm. are part of nature. We are part of the ecosystem and we need to do our part to make sure that that sustainable balance is kept. Um, so this conversation of saying, well, we shouldn't do it anymore because some people might be offended by it is crazy to me because there is a lot of stuff that happens in society that people don't want to do that people think is not the greatest job to do but it has to be done mm -hmm. because that's what is needed 
Um, so to say we're going to start, you know, adjusting regulations, not because it benefits the wildlife, but because some people will be less offended by it. Mm -hmm. Like that is, it blows my mind. That's, that's my biggest struggle with it. I don't know about how you guys feel, but that's the biggest pill to swallow on my end. No, I completely agree. Uh, Channel Cal earlier, and I believe BC has anywhere between 120 to 160,000 black bears, and that's the biggest population in North America. And to say that we're short of them is, it's narrow-minded and it's, it's selfish, right? And as you said, we're a part of nature and everywhere you go, we've had an impact. And if it, it's a, it's a beautiful myth that if we left nature alone, it would balance itself. Right. The only way that's going to happen is if human beings are wiped off the landscape. And well, realistically, that's not going to happen anytime soon. So we have to do our part. We would have to. Oh, Kyle, you can go ahead and jump a sec. But I think in order for that to happen, we would have to stop putting in snowmobile tracks, cross country ski tracks, logging roads, um, ATV trails, mountain bike trails, you jogging trails, all of the above. Any of that we do there has an impact. That's right. Um, it's it's not just hunting. Everything has an impact. The second you step outside of your house, you're having an impact on the on the nature around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we have an interesting podcast coming up here uh, shortly with um, a university um, graduate uh, biologist talking about uh, consumptive users, non-consumptive users in the backcountry, right? And, uh, you know, that's obviously, we don't think too much about that, but uh, you think of the impact that that has on on wildlife as a non-consumptive user as well. So, yeah, that can't be discounted. But the interesting thing I see at a rain coast is they talk a lot about, about um, how science manages wildlife based on population-based um, science. They look at it as a population. They look at the numbers. And they're saying we should be looking at individuals. We should be thinking about, you know, uh, that they're sentient beings, that they feel pain. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, but then, you know, one of Raincoast's arguments is, you know, they're going after the predator now. But, you know, all of a sudden, but it's okay that, you know, you eat a deer. That Does that deer not um, have the same issue type thing? So it's uh, it's quite an interesting argument they they present. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously based on um, on the uh, the social aspect of it. So, Joe, you're no uh, no stranger to this. You've, you've seen this controversy um, in, in the hunt space. Um, you know, I know that uh, you work with um, Steve Eklund. Steve got some hot water in 20, I think it was 2017, 2018, around a cat hunt he did. And he did a pretty decent job, I thought, of portraying that. You know, he talked about, um, you know, eating the cougar meat and how it's excellent and, and you know, the conservation aspect of the hunt and all, all the right stuff. And it, it kind of blew up. And actually, that was kind of... Uh, the springboard for Daremont's op-ed, he actually mentioned that it was a Globe and Mail op-ed that came out in 2018, and he specifically mentioned that hunt. Um, so, you know, kind of talk about your experience and what you've seen from the anti-hunting movement, or you know, the you know the, the the narrative around that that you've seen over the last few years and your approach to it. My approach to the anti-hunting movement. I mean, um, I spent a large amount my previous careers, I was a professional athlete and I spent a large amount of my time in city centers where most people didn't understand what it meant to be a true lover of the outdoors, what it meant to be a hunter or a fisher or anything like that. They didn't understand the concept of what, why it is that we go out and we hunt and we fish and why we care so much about the outdoors. And they didn't understand the balance of the ecosystem because when you're in a city center, you don't, you don't see what happens out there. Um, so I, I saw the biggest issue is just a general lack of information and, and, 
and a general lack of willingness to have those conversations as well. Um, I do know as a hunter, it took me a while when I'd start to have those conversations to not immediately get, get my back up and not immediately kind of grit my teeth and, and, and kind of act defensive. I needed to understand that these people were coming at me from a position of just, uh, they were very misinformed. They, they were be believing and understanding the loudest voices that they had heard previously. And, and they were misinformed and they were misled. So um, I've, I've really tried my best to have the, the right conversations and try to keep an open mind to anybody who is willing to hear more about what it means to me to be an outdoorsman, what it means to everybody else, everybody I've ever been around, um, why it is that we truly love what we do and, and the, the strange, um, the strange dual pole of, you know, yes, we are conservationists and we truly love the outdoors, but at the same time, I go out and I kill deer. I go out and I kill elk. I kill animals. I fill my freezer with their meat. It does not mean that I don't truly love and care about those animals and those species. Uh, so that's a difficult conversation and it's a difficult subject for a lot of people to understand. Yeah, well said, Joe. So, um, you know, that that um, op-ed came out from Daremont in 2018 and then, you know, the most recent one here was... Um, a document that came out and some people have questioned us on that and they asked us well where's this information coming from so um it actually is called large carnivore hunting and the social license to hunt and it was written by chris daramont kyle artell there was a number of individuals that wrote that um and it was underwritten by the uh, rain coast as well um anyone that wants to read it um you can it can be read on the conservation for social biology website we'll put it in the show notes here as well uh, but you know th that references that document but one of the statements they say in there we, and when they say we, they're referring to Raincoast, uh, developed a modified model, which we refer to as the social license to hunt. So this is the narrative that they're creating. And they're basically advocating for, um, you know, the social license management. And they go on to say that the new study suggests killing predators like wolves, grizzly bears, and cougars for trophy is a potential threat, not only to these sensitive animals, but to other hunters. So that's kind of their argument in it. Um, so it's interesting that they reference that. So, um, you know, Steve, you maybe want to jump in on, on the social license to hunt. And, um, and, and I find it interesting that, you know, we do eat um, cougar, we do eat bear. And, you know, there's a lot of people that that's a big part of their diet. And they go out and harvest two bears, uh, one in the spring, one in the fall or two in the spring. Um, and it sustains them throughout, throughout a lot of the year. There's a lot of... Um, you know, biomass there that they're using to feed their families. Well, yeah, you see it all the time uh, on on the hunting groups. You see, you see people uh, they they don't understand it. Uh, you see it in the hunting community. Uh, somebody goes, "Oh, well, why did you shoot that that spike? You got to let him grow." Or why didn't you hold up for a big four point? Or you, you took a doe, and they they don't understand that they're doing the same damage to the hunting community as these these ones that are trying to end the hunt, right? So it's about that, as, as they say, social license. If it, we need the support of the vote, like, to be blunt, we need the support of the voters out there. And that's what they mean by social license. If the, the, the greater public or audiences like that don't understand what we're doing, 
as Joe said, the, the battle he had was getting these people to understand there's more to it, that we're more than just as portrayed killers. And until we change that image, we're going to be having this fight. And that's, and they've picked a beautiful argument to have, right? That is where our biggest challenge lays. We can throw the science in front of everybody. We can say, like I did, there's 150, 160,000 black bears. There's 30 million whitetails across North America, but all it takes is that one picture of uh, a poorly posed animal or anything like that. And that's the, what they're going to, that's what they're going to run with. So until we change that image that, that the non, the non hunters see, that's going to be our, our biggest challenge. Well, and it seems like some of these pressure points are events, right? So, you know, there's certain things that happen. A, a classic one recently in our own community is Takaya, right? So, you know, that one got a lot of publicity. Um, and then, you know, some people in our own community do a great job of, uh, you know, portraying, you know, wolf management, wolf hunting, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, there's, you know, I think we we also have to look internally at our own community on what well, we can do to. Help well, you said it, you right? said it beautifully there, right? It's wolf management. It's wolf hunting. It's not only good wolf is a dead wolf. It's not kill them all. It's not smoke a pack a day. That does absolutely nothing for our social license for these people that don't understand the science behind it. Mm -hmm. And it's also well, it's elevating the positive that's coming from that as well. Um, I think if rather than look at this, I killed a wolf talk about the fact that you saved how many deer if it's in an area where there's elk you know you saved how many calving elk that's right things like that we got to focus on the positive of what we're doing if we're if we're going out there saying as hunters we are conservationists let's focus on that side the of conservation it's side not of about things. yeah exactly and it's it's not about being the consumptive user focus on what we do as, as giving back and again talking about uh chris Dermont in his paper how he talks about the fact that we are as hunters, we should not be considered stakeholders because oh, yeah. we are, we are, um, you know, we're pulling resources from it. We'll focus on what we're doing to give back because, um, you know, a farmer talks about the crops that he's growing. He doesn't talk about the thousands of beetles he has to kill on a daily basis mm -hmm. to keep those crops thriving. Let's focus on the benefit we're doing. The fact that, you know, wolf calls are necessary for woodland caribou. Let's let's focus on, you know, the issues in the, the areas where sheep are being reintroduced and how we're, we're effectively managing the predators in those areas. Focus That's on right. that side of the story. Don't focus on, oh, I killed the biggest, baddest wolf in the area. That's that's not what it's about. That's right. And the reality is, is that as hunters, we want to see wolves on the landscape. Um, you know, we, we don't want to extirpate wolves. That's I, I've never heard it, you know, and, and that the problem is, is that narrative gets skewed. People here smoke a pack a day, shoot everyone you see. The problem is, is there's an overabundance, which is, you know, threatening certain species, woodland caribou, one of them. And that's our concern, right? So obviously we want to see that managed and we want to see it done properly. But I don't know of any hunter that says I never want, like one of my favorite things being out in the wild is seeing a wolf or seeing a grizzly bear. To Absolutely. me, that's that's as good as it gets for me. Um, so this whole narrative, you know, I think we have to revamp our, you know, our approach to it and start, you know, we have reverence for these animals. It's just the balance is, is what we're concerned about. Right. Oh, so, absolutely. Like I've, I've, I've seen far more bears than I killed. I've seen far more deer than I killed. You, you name the animal. I have seen far more of them and let them walk just because, mm -hmm. as you said, we enjoy seeing them. I'd probably beg the difference just because you're a shitty hunter. Still, well, yeah, whatever. 
That's right. I was thinking it. I was thinking it. <laughs> um, um, uh, go ahead, Joe. Um, no, I was I was just going to add to that point. Absolutely, it's it's. I think there is a certain amount of locker room talk that was carried over into um, social media and into portraying things, and it's it, it's very easy for an individual sometimes when they drop in to take something out of context when there's a simple image associated with with a quick and easy comment something that you might say to the guys mm-hmm. because you can say it or i shouldn't say the guys but to, to friends that hunt you can say it to them because they understand the underlayers they understand what's really happening behind it there's so many stuff that everybody says in their daily life that if taken out of that specific moment or out of context That's and right. there's no backstory to it it will blow people's mind they'll think wow that person's you know completely out to lunch but we take that for granted and there's too many people that don't consider that before they post before they quickly throw something up and you'll talk to a lot of people and they'll go wow i didn't think about it when i posted it i wish i had done it differently mm-hmm. and, and us as hunters i think we need to it's not about us holding our tongue or not speaking our mind it's about us just doing a better job at educating individuals because everybody that i've had an effective conversation with about what it really means or explained situations explained what really happens why we do what we do you would be amazed at how many of these people that are right now, they're teetering on the fence and they're willing to listen to either side. If we have the facts, we have the facts on our side. We have the science, we have everything. We're just doing a very poor job of communicating it at times. So that's right. um, if we can present that properly, it's, it's going to do an amazing job. And you would be amazed at how much support we really have waiting there for us. Mm-hmm. We just have to have those conversations and do it effectively. Yeah, like some, some, also say it, some pictures should not end up on social media. Some conversations should not end up on social media. As you said, keep it to your core group. And the, the, the stuff that en- should end up on social media is, okay, I, I took a deer. It was part of uh, a, a scientifically managed hunt. I got 80 pounds of deer. I fed my family for this long, right? That's, that's the conversations we need to be having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, uh, let's just touch a little bit more on this some people have been asking us why um why are we doing this now why are we you know making our stand um and i'm going to share a quote out of um that last document from daramont that says if policymakers perceive that hunters fail to satisfy or have lost their social license to hunt the apparent political risk of maintaining regulatory approval can provoke policy change so we've seen that with the grizzly bear right um horgan comes in donaldson comes in and says you no longer have the social license to hunt that society doesn't support this. So that's where they're heading with this. Um, and I think it's important for us to note through our act now campaign that, you know, it, are they going to close wolf hunting tomorrow? Are they going to shut down black bear hunting tomorrow? That's really not on the table. That's really not where this is heading. This isn't a short term thing that we're concerned about. What we're looking at is, you know, they've spent decades of building their case against hunting. And they've been successful. They've taken away grizzly bear in the province. And it's not stopped. Every single, uh, they're constantly coming after us with the narrative. And that's where I think as a society and as our board of directors and as our committee, we sat down and said, you know, we have to stop it here. We cannot, we can't just tolerate it. Because we were, I think it, it's safe to say we're a little bit um, remiss on the grizzly bear. That we we just sat there and it, it, it just went away. And we didn't do anything. We didn't try and stop it up on the run-up to the election. You know, 
why weren't we on election day up there voting and making a stance based on what was being said by the political parties? This wasn't a surprise to us that a week after the election, they canceled the grizzly bear hunt. So, you know, I think we have to start, you know, being more proactive and less reactive. And I think that's a big part of the issue with us um, personally. So, Well, absolutely. I think that's something that, that goes along with anything that's been in place for a very, very long time. You think that it's going to take this huge event to change what has existed because it has been so consistent for so long. And what we don't understand, what we're not recognizing is the fact that it doesn't take that much for these policies to change right now. Everything is already there and it's, there won't be this big, amazing vote, this big, amazing opportunity for us to speak our minds. Um, we are up against a very smart, intelligent, well-educated group that is organized, that is spending a lot of money. They have a lot of financial backing. And it's easy to position yourself in an argument when you don't have to worry about presenting facts. That's another issue that we're facing right now. We have to make sure that we're crossing RTs, dotting our I's, and presenting 100% facts. There's a lot of individuals and groups and organizations that are not doing that and coming after us and, and, and flooding everybody with, with mistruths. And, and that makes it a big challenge. Um, another thing is the, the paper you're talking about, it talks about the fact that, well, right now the social license um, to hunting would be much safer for deer and ungulates if we just gave up predators. Um, but in that same paper, they start listing sheep and elk as trophy animals. Well, guess what? If, and they say, well, this will all go away if you just get rid of predator mm -hmm. hunting. Well, there will always be the most uncomfortable subject in the room. As soon as you get rid of one subject, um, you know, you're at a party and the least liked person leaves. Well, everybody there isn't equally liked. There's always going to be that least liked person there, that one person they're going to be like, ah. So that's the exact same thing that's going to happen. So guess what? It might not be tomorrow, but five, six, ten years down the road, they're going to come back and they're going to go, well, guess what? Now your social license for hunting on this is, is going as well. And again, the, the biggest issue is, is that based on biologist studies, based on scientific data that we need to be removing this? No, it's based on your social license to hunt, public perception of whether or not that's acceptable. Well, who's going to be going out there and making sure that we are keeping everything in an effective balance? Where's the funding for that going to come mm -hmm. from? Where, what's going to happen? Like you start removing these governing bodies and, and it's going to crumble. That's the scariest part to me is what's going to happen long-term here. It's not about, yes, whether, you know, this hill is our hill to die on. It's like, like Steve, you alluded to earlier. I said, how many hills do we have left mm -hmm. before we completely lose this battle? Because you won't be sitting there holding on to your last tag, fighting for that last tag. That last nope. swoop is going to go in a landslide because once we yep. lose enough ground, it's a landslide victory. After that, the game's over. That's right. It it sadly is like they're as we said we said it over and over and over. They're not going to stop with just one. It's not going to be the token. It's going to be okay. We got it, and the snowball is going to keep going, and they're going to run on this. They're the, the lack of social license and people. It, the the more they take the more people are going to go, holy, maybe they're right. This isn't cool. Because you see it. You see mm -hmm. it on TV all the time. You you got polar bears coming onto the ice to, to do ice fishing commercials with people and the polar bears at Christmas drinking Coca-Cola and 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 the, the Charmin bears, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're making them seem commonplace. And unfortunately, the other day there was, uh, it, I think it was in two days down by Ujo, there was uh, a cougar or two cougars that took two, and killed two dogs. And 
and there was another couple of dogs that were injured. So four dogs mm-hmm. in a week. And they, the COs said that they were losing fear of people as they were going to in a semi-rural, semi-urban environment. And all of a sudden, it's, it's people's fault and the, the cat's the victim. But what they're doing is they're spinning that narrative there, right? Yes, unfortunately, the cat had to be euthanized, but they're going to lose their fear of people the more we we uh, disnify them, right? That people are are feeding coyotes in Stanley Park, right? They're taking the wildness out of these animals, and it's 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 going to get somebody killed. It's just a matter of time, and that's why. It's, it's natural for an animal to have a fear of human beings. And that's part of us being in the landscape. Like last year, I saw probably eight to 10 grizzly bears and they did not care. And here we are three years out from the hunt. They've, they've lost that fear of people. And this is 60, 80 K from Prince George. These people, these bears didn't care we were there. A couple of years ago, they'd be gone. You wouldn't even see them. They just now meander because they got no reason to be scared. And it's just a matter of time before somebody gets, uh, somebody got bit by a, a coyote down in uh, Stanley Park. Imagine if that was a cougar grabbing a kid, right? Or a bear. It's, it's a matter of time. And that's the part, the, the, the scary part that people are missing from this argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, Steve. Okay, so one of the things that some people have reached out to us and talked to us about is, you know, the, the, you know, Chris Daremont's been on a few podcasts of late and sort of undermining, um, you know, the science-based argument, right? Of course, their narrative is a social license to hunt. Um, so, of course, they're going to undermine the science aspect of it. So, you know, let's maybe talk a little bit. One case that comes to mind, and they actually cite this case in that paper, is Cecil the Lion. For those of you who don't, don't recall, Cecil, Cecil the Lion was, in 2015, there was a kind of a, a famed lion, apparently, um, although the locals in Zimbabwe were unfamiliar with the, the fame, uh, famousness of this lion. But uh, uh, he was killed in Af- this lion was killed in Africa by a, a rich American dentist. Um, and of course, it went viral. And that actually was a, one of those landslide events that changed policy. So from there, there was a bunch of restrictions. Airlines put, uh, you know, uh, restrictions on what you could bring back from Africa in terms of, you know, animal parts. Um, there was three Senate bills that went through that never did get passed trying to restrict this. There was a bunch of things done around the world. Uh, but basically, they stopped lion hunting in Zimbabwe. And Zimbabwe actually historically had quite a successful history of being successful in conservation. Uh, they were well-managed. They were well-funded. Hunters were coming over there. They were spending the money. So when Cecil the lion went south, 2016, there they are. They've got 500 lions um, the carrying capacity was too much. They had no one to manage them. So um, they actually wanted to call 200 lines. I think in the end, they ended up terminating it. But it's interesting that, you know, this is a scientific argument um, that, you know, goes to show you that managing wildlife based on science makes sense. And that was one of the arguments they used against sort of hunting in their paper and the social license to hunt. Meanwhile, they're having to call these lines to manage them, right? Well, absolutely. And, and the thing people need to understand is that there are, you know, reactions and, and consequences to every decision made. So, um, sure, you want to ban wolf hunting. Well, guess what? You're killing countless numbers of 
deer, of sheep, of caribou, of everything else. Like there is a consequence to every decision. And right now that's all being calculated and biologists are studying it. And like you mentioned over in Africa, they are calculating and they're saying, well, if we have X number of lions hunted per year, that means that we will get these, these funds to sustain this large of a property, make sure there's no poachers coming onto it. We'll make sure that, you know, these species are thriving here and we can run our effective safaris, things like that. Like it's, it's all this big system. And as soon as you start, mm -hmm. you can't just, put a bandaid on it and go, okay, well, that's just going to fix that one isolated issue and everything else is going to stay the same because it's not. Everything right. is this big interconnected web. Um, and, and a lot of people just don't understand that uh, like everything is connected. Every, every decision we make has a consequence. It, there is backlash. There is, there is issues that we're going to create. And that's, again, I think that just falls on, on us as hunters. Um, and one, one subject I want to talk about is, you know, the, the social license to hunt and, and uh, Chris Daremont's suggestion in the paper is that we should just give up the fight because it's challenging and it's never going to go away. Mm -hmm. So you might as well just start picking the, the toughest battles and the longest battles and giving up on them and quitting. But my, like, my thought press process on that and is no. And even in the paper, he talks about a few different options of what hunters could do to react and how they could kind of change things and maybe alter the fight but why don't we just take the toughest road here which is continue to fight but do a far better job at explaining the full level at what what, what we're doing and how we're contributing to society how cecil the lion um maybe that one isolated incident was not the greatest but but what that whole structure looks like over there and and don't just shy away from the conversations and don't just back down and and you know get frustrated in those conversations but really do our best bite our tongue and try and educate as many people as possible anytime someone's willing to sit down and have a conversation talk to them about that side of things no completely agree joe like it, it's it's put out there that hunters are killing thousands of wolves a year and it's i, I don't know a single hunter that takes that doesn't put in a, a, a targeted effort at wolves that takes more than their, their bag limit of three a year like it's tough to take a wolf a lot of people are like oh there's a wolf and they're gone right the, it's it's crazy and the the, the the fecundity they have in their breeding and in their population rates they could that the science shows that they could handle a 30 percent harvest rate per year and still stay stable to growing that's three th three out of ten you could take every year and they're still going to grow that's it it shows why it's it's critically important for us to to harvest and to take them out right it's 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 not a, as kyle said no hunter wants to see complete extermination extirpation of a species we'd be the first ones as you said joe to sound that alarm and go you know what science shows that this isn't sustainable and we'd go all right we got you you, you showed the science awesome we'll back you but what's going to happen if that science gets removed? That's the scary part. Yeah, well, and it, that's the interesting thing is um, with regards to to now, if we look closer to BC here and, and the, the wolf issue, um, you know, with wolves, we know the fecundity is, is through the roof, right? They're going to um, they're just going to continue to re reproduce and grow. Uh, meanwhile, we have a species like caribou that uh, is at risk of extirpation. Obviously, it's extirpated in the lower 48 in southern BC now. So, 
you know, it's interesting. I've seen an argument from, I'm not sure it was Raincoast or Pack Wild, basically stating that you're going to lose the caribou anyway. Just let them yep. go. So why kill the wolves? Um, but you've got a species that's incredibly resilient here that you can manage, um, and you're not going to do it, uh, you know, based on the fact that, um, you know, caribou are done anyway, which, you know, they, they don't even say that like science proves that they're, they're all going to die. You know, if they could prove that scientifically, then maybe you have an argument that they're, they're virtual signaling or, or suggesting that that's going to be the case. So, um, let's talk about this call because we've had those questions. Um, so as we know, Dr. Soroya, um, wrote an article, I think it was called adaptive management around, uh, endangered species. It, uh, he, he wrote it with Mark Heppelwhite and it was around, uh, the woodland caribou came out in February, 2019 peer reviewed document. And, uh, there was support for wolf management, a wolf call. So, um, and then this last summer in 2020, uh, a new study came out and it ended up in CBC and basically it was a July, 2020. 2020 study by Raincoast themselves. It was funded by Raincoast. It was very clear that that was the case that presented new research that stated the wolf call will not save endangered caribou. The study uh, had um, uh, it basically said that there's no statistical support for wolf control and maternal pending as conservation members for endangered mountain caribou. It was based on an unbalanced analytical approach that admitted a null scenario, excluded potentially confounding variables and employed irreproducible habitat alteration metrics. Our reanalysis of uh, available data shows that ecotype, uh, yeah, exactly, (laughs) written by scientists, uh, ecotype identity is a better predictor of population population trends. So basically what they're saying is, um, you know, they're, they're doubting Dr. Soroya and Dr. Hebelweight and, and that team's information and saying that no, uh, ecotype is actually a better predictor in this case. And that should be what should be used. Now, from what I've heard, I've, I've made some phone calls today and had some, du- du- uh, dialogue around it. And basically, um, the consensus is, is that obviously Dr. Soroya and Dr. Hebelweight don't agree with that. And there is a, um, alternate paper that's basically going to, um, you know, state where they come from that perspective. But as for right now, there's been really no, um, nothing come out. Obviously it's going to take some time to produce that document. So, right. um, again, using, using the data that suits them, um, in, in this case, but not really providing, um, you know, solid broad-based data. Right. So it's, it's interesting. And here we have a species at risk that, um, that we could do something about and they're, they're, doing their best to terminate that uh, that call like, right just a couple simple questions one why are wolves more important than caribou and two what why do they hate caribou so much why do they want to see an extirpation of the caribou or an extinction of the caribou at the expense of the wolves and right it doesn't make sense to me the the challenging part to that is it's not even at you know they they want to see the extinction of the caribou but it's not even that you have to trade one for the other. There is no. the potential for coexistence here Absolutely. so long as we monitor it and we use the data and the information and the studies. But instead, we're just supposed to trust them, give them all the power. And again, it's just trust us, just give up. It's yeah, the trust same, our similar, science, not similar yours. story to what's happening right now with the social license to hunt. Trust us, just give up on that. Well, guess what happens? Caribou go. Then, then what's next? What's going to happen when the moose are struggling in certain areas? Because we know the moose are struggling in certain areas. So now they're going to come Absolutely. to us and go, ah, the moose just weren't meant to be there anyways. Mm-hmm. And like, 
this is what happens. These predators, when they're out of control, they decimate populations and it's, they're just going to work their way down the list. And then all of a sudden we're going to be sitting there going, well, yeah, but no, no hunter ever pulled a trigger. That's I mean, right. that, that's the thing. It's uh, this social license to hunt and that we have to back down and quit and not have the uncomfortable conversations. Guess what? If you want to make it through life, you have to have uncom- uncomfortable conversations. If you ever want to succeed in life at anything, you have to push and you have to fight if you truly believe the cause or the end goal or or the species that you're fighting for is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You're going to have those uncomfortable conversations. You're going to fight those fights and you're going to continue to do whatever you do. Sure, some people say, okay, oh, killing one wolf isn't going to save an entire population. Well, guess what? Then I'm going to try and go out and kill two if I have to, or I'm going to raise awareness for the importance of harvesting these wolves in these areas. You know, that's like, right. That's what we need to be doing. It's not, okay, things got tough. We should pack up and go home. We should quit. We should give up on these people. We should, or not these people, we should give up on the caribou because it's going to be tough if we want to win this. So we might as well just give up. Like that, that mindset just i i don't jive with it it's 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 difficult it's a tough pill to swallow yeah like the, the, the as they say they're, they'll balance themselves no they'll, they'll as you said they're gonna move around they're gonna find the next source of prey once the moose are gone they're gonna find the deer then they're gonna find the elk and then they're gonna start coming into ranches and they're gonna start t- hitting more food supply and it, they're gonna have nothing left and you're just gonna have a, a, a overpopulation of wolves and no ungulates left and everybody's going to be rubbing their hands together going, Whoa, why didn't we do something? Right. And it's, it's a scary, scary precedence. As I've said, it's I, not liking the way it's looking, but we need to get off our asses and do something proactive. Yeah. And just in all fairness, one of the arguments that Raincoast makes is, well, it's about habitat loss. So we know that, right? So, you know, but the problem is, is we, you know, we're doing a horrible job of managing that. And we have to, you know, we have to look at our government to that and, and take some accountability there. But, you know, due to habitat loss, resource extraction, um, encroachment, all these different issues, that's the real root of the issue. But we also know that that's decades or quarter centuries or, or Eight, half or full centuries. 80 years, for the, solutions. 80 years for the old growth of the caribou to get their well, food supply back. And, and again, it just, sure. Um, you know, habitat loss is a big part of this right now, but just because one species is thriving and one species is struggling because of that habitat loss doesn't mean you let one side die. That means you intervene and you say, okay, how can we maintain this balance until this old growth does come back in these regions? How can we do it? How can we make sure everything thrives equally until Mm -hmm. it can catch its breath, until it can balance? I mean, apply that same concept to anything else in society these days in a classroom, in anything. Oh, certain kids are doing amazing in school right now with COVID going on, but certain kids are struggling with depression and having a really difficult time with their, with their grades, things like that. Ah, those kids are going to fail in life anyway. Just ditch them. Like, <laughs> that's right. Think of, that's, that's literally the that's, policy. That's the, the principles that they're applying to this. I mean, how can you accept that and think that you are doing good? Let's let this group completely fail and not even try to help. And that's exactly what it boils down to. Why is one more important than the other? Why, like, why one at the expense of another when we can help at all? Mm-hmm. And have you heard a valid argument for that? Either one of you, I, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit I haven't done a ton of research. No, I, on I, it, but, I never have. You know, 
I never have. These charismatic megafauna like grizzly bears and that they're great for fundraising, right? Like uh, if you want to raise some money, you know, put it, put a grizzly bear or a wolf on the on on the front page and you're going to raise some money. But I don't I don't understand the logic behind. I guess the premise is they don't want us killing anything. So, you know, start with that and then if we're killing caribou, they'd probably be upset about it too, right? Well, so. well that's exactly it. But if yeah, you grab, grab the cute and cuddly ask ones. somebody, do they want people hunting wolves? No. They don't want people hunting wolves. Do you want to see caribou extinct? Those people will say absolutely not. And I bet you if you said, would you rather somebody hunt a wolf than see the caribou go extinct? They would say, well, fine, then those wolves. Those wolves, but only those three wolves right. with, you know, the knots on their back. But you have to know which three wolves it is. Unfortunately, yeah. we don't know which three wolves always. But it's that's that's what's happening. It's one side is very good at posing the questions in a very loaded way and they're controlling the narrative and they're making sure that every time these subjects come up they're in control of how it's positioned and how it's portrayed and the the options of the answers that you're given as well you don't you're not given all of the information that's exactly it right yeah we've, we've said it many times because uh, the, 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 the question was posed do you believe in the trophy hunting of grizzly bears well hell no no, nobody's going to play that. But if you said, do you believe in the scientific management of grizzly bears? You would have got a completely different demographic answer. You would have got a completely different uh, swing vote, like whatever you want to call it. You would have seen a different sort of turnout. And I'd bet we'd still be having that hunt if that and was. That's, the maybe that's what asked. we need to be doing. You know, are more people comfortable with predator management in order to save x population i i don't know it's just we need to position ourselves and ask the same questions in different ways and and us as hunters it goes back to that's right. the social media posts or the conversations we have in public that we might be able to have with others because we understand the underlayers maybe we need to try and mm -hmm. come at this from a different angle and understand it from an outsider's perspective and then pose those questions in that way and have those discussions. Oh, for sure. And whenever I do a post, I'm always trying to look at the, how it's going to be perceived. Like in the last few years, I've totally changed the way I post on social media because of having conversations like this and seeing the fights that we're in. It's more of a, okay, here's a little bit more of an educational side of things. And it's not just, Hey, I went out with a couple of buddies and shot a bear. It was, I went out and I enjoyed the landscape and we saw a bunch of bears. We took our time to make sure we, we were seeing the one we wanted and right. And I cut my tag and throw in the science piece there. Cause a lot of people, they, they just oh, think that it's yeah. a shooting gallery. Right. And the, the one it's not their fault. They don't know. They figure we go out as soon as you hit hope and bang, it's a shooting gallery, right? You can go down one road and there's 15 deer and you can mow them down with your scary AR 15. Right. It's just, it's, it's how it's portrayed. Right. It's so we've, we got to be cognizant of who our audience isn't right. It's easy to address uh, a, a post for somebody who understands us. It's the ones that don't understand and aren't part of our world that we need to be cognizant. That well, we it's not even I mean, reach. it's not even that we might possibly reach them. I think it's we're we're at the point where if we are putting stuff on a public platform, we have to hope that we're reaching those people and that we are being perceived mm -hmm. in a positive light. So it's it's not just oh, somebody might happen across this, so I'm, maybe I'll 
you know, hold back a little bit wrong. Like let's dive right into it, but let's tell the true full story, the right story and hope that more people come across it and go out of our way to make sure that more people come across it because that's what we need to be doing. We Mm -hmm. need to, rather than worrying about the small amount of what hunting we have left that does have the, the social license for hunting, we need to look at all of hunting as a whole and strengthen the social license through education. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joe. And I think, you know, we have to do a better job of looking after our entire community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can't start leaving people out. We can't, we can't, you know, there's too much of this stuff. And, and even, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit of feedback, like, hey, why are you guys doing this? Um, you know, we all got to get on the same page and have the same message. And we got to do a better job of that and look after all hunting, as long as it's science-based, it's uh, supported, it's legal, you know, and, and we have to consider that. And we can't sit there and say, well, we don't care about predators. We don't care about grizzly bears. We don't care about ducks. We don't care about whatever. We, we care about all of it. We can't afford to lose anything else. Um, you know, we, we have to stand up and defend it, right? We, we cannot be apathetic about it. And I think that that's one of the, you know, and, and again, with this campaign, you would have thought 110,000 signatures would have flowed freely, right? It should have been, because what's the downside, right? What's the downside if you sign it? Like you're still supporting hunting. Like it's not like you're supporting something you don't believe in. Like I, I don't understand why you wouldn't have 110,000 signatures. We've done well. You know, we've <laughs> Wild Sheep has got you know close to 8,000 signatures, which is fantastic for a group of a thousand people, um, and, and I'm proud of that. But why wouldn't 110,000 hunters sign a document like that? I just don't understand it. Uh, I've seen posts where people are saying, "Well, we're not really in a fight. They don't." They don't understand that this is just the tip of the iceberg. They're they're not just gonna leave leave it at wolves, and that I think that's a lot of problem. I've seen other people say, "Well, uh, I'd be okay if they they put in bag limits on trapping. I'd be okay if we had to get a trapping license to hunt predators." That it's it's just that death by a thousand cuts. One little bit, they're gonna keep getting it, and as Joe said, it's all of a sudden it's gonna landslide and it's gone, and we're gonna go holy and shit. How long? I mean, there was a there? lot of people that had that mindset with the grizzly bear hunt, and okay, if, if they'll win this battle, right, then less than then a thousand. Well, how long did it take from then until now? Mm-hmm. And even if Rainco says they're not gonna come after ungulates or they're not gonna come after other species, there will be another group that will come up, and that they will be gaining momentum and the time in between each fight is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, and, and that's, mm-hmm. that's not going to change. That's not going to go away. We need to take it upon ourselves to kind of dig our heels in. And, um, like you said, it's an inclusive battle. We're not here to tell people, you know, what they should be hunting or anything. We're listening to the scientists, the biologists, we're doing our part with the information that we're given. And we need to support everybody in our community who's willing to do the same. And and, and one frustrating thing, Kyle, to, to your point about the um, uh, um, trying to trying to get all of our emails submitted and and you know the signatures and the autographs. The frustrating part to me is that I mean I'm extremely passionate about it, and I know a lot of individuals who are extremely passionate about it. I know a lot of extremely passionate people who I had to speak to numerous times to get them to sign it. And I saw them having these arguments on Facebook groups for months and years, ever since the grizzly bear hunt. And they're going to take half an hour to write a Facebook post, but they won't take 15 seconds to fill out a form. And the form is literally first name, last name, email, and your postal code. 
so you can get your MLA. And, that, and that's what we're asking for. And it's just yeah. a general show of support. And I guarantee those people, if they had, like the number of surveys people fill out on a general basis for goofy reasons that are, but it, uh, they'll fill them out all day. But as soon as there's actual weight behind it, <laughs> there's this apprehension. Yeah. And it's strange. Like still today, you go on Facebook groups or any any online forum and people will be having these huge battles. And what harm does it do to show support for something? Even if we're not in a fight, just be heard and be proud and say, yeah, absolutely. I support this. Well, I mean, we are in a fight, but even if they didn't think we're in a fight, why would you not want to stand up and say, heck yeah, I'm a hunter and I support mm -hmm. this. Yeah. We need to be proactive instead of reactive. Like I've seen, like, as you, as you said perfectly there, like people will spend 40 minutes to do a Facebook post to find out what kind of car they would be or what transformer they would be. Right. And, and then they're sharing it to all their friends going, Hey, check this out. You got to try this, but you're not seeing the same sort of 15 seconds towards uh, something that we made so incredibly easy to say. I have, I have friends that I'll message hunt. them the link and I'll have conversations with them and I'll say, Hey man, did you fill it out yet? No, not yet. I'm going to take a look at it today after work. And then three minutes later, they'll send me four different memes on goofy stuff. And I'm like, dude, if you had time to look up goofy yes. memes to send me, you had time to fill out the form. Like, quit dragging your feet. Yep. Fill it out. We need all the support we can get. We're, we're a minority to begin with, if Absolutely. you look at the population. Individuals that hunt and individuals that yep. believe in like, we are. all of this. We are a minority. So we, we need everybody. Absolutely. So I watched a webinar the other night and somebody asked, you know, are these campaigns effective? Do they, you know, do these signatures matter? So I'm kind of curious what your guys' thoughts are with regards to that. Um, you know, it seems to me the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, when I go see my MLA and I talk to my MLA, she listens. Um, does it change the way she approaches it? I guarantee it changes it more than if I didn't talk to her, right? So, you know, what? how do you guys feel about that? Is a campaign like this, are we just wasting our time writing this stuff or does is it matter <laughs> i saw that same webinar kyle um anyway i can say wholeheartedly yes that's where you and i met we met on a campaign very similar to this one where we ended up being the first uh movement to change a pol get a government to change policy as written right that we had twenty thousand signatures at the, the legislature with uh, the allocation battle. Now we've all come together to realize, well, instead of fighting over a piece of pie, let's bake a new pie. So here we are again. Absolutely. I've, I, uh, I meet with my MLA regularly. We chat weekly. He knows where I stand. I've got actually got lunch with him tomorrow. He's coming back from Victoria and he said, Hey, let's go for lunch. So that's the kind of relationship you, you, you don't necessarily need to get, but your MLA needs to know where you stand. So yes, I totally wholeheartedly believe this campaign can and will work. We just and need I, people to believe the same way. Great we point. Do. And I think it also comes down to how much do you care? I mean, if you really care about a cause and it's highly unlikely that you will win a fight, and I'm not saying this is highly unlikely that you will win a fight, because I think we stand an amazing chance at, at digging our heels in and winning this battle here. But um, if you truly care about a cause or truly believe that you are having a positive impact on the ecosystem around you so you believe as a hunter you are also a conservationist you will do absolutely everything you can to continue that because you truly truly believe that what you're doing is having a positive impact so you will fight even if it's the smallest chance that you're going to have an impact you're going to do whatever it takes to have that impact mm -hmm. if you're willing to let it go because you think 
you're probably not, or you might not, or there's a 20% chance that it's not going to have any impact. Did you ever really care? That's, that's the question is if you ever really cared, you're going to do it. You're going to fight for it. If you never cared, if it wasn't important to you, you'll sit back and go, ah, probably never would have worked out because you never wanted it to work out. That's a great point, Joe, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Excellent. So, you know what, you know, some of the guys are saying, well, we don't need to do our girls or whoever that, you know, the naysayers, what, what if we do nothing? Like, what if we just sit there and we just trundle along and we just say, no, we're fine. What's, what's the outcome of that? What does this look like? Um, you know, are we affecting change if, if we don't do anything? Well, we saw the grizzly bear hunt go. We had uh, only 4,000 people showed up to voice their opinion, yay or nay. And less than 1,000 of those 4,000 was in, in uh, mm-hmm. support of it. So we will lose. It's, it's, they've, they've set the precedence that they will come hard and they will continue to push. They showed it. They was December 2017. They they uh, they pulled the grizzly hunt from us, and here we are, just over three years later, when this campaign started again. I wouldn't even call it a formal campaign, but we know the wheels are in motion behind the scenes, right? Because they're not going to publish a paper like that and do nothing with it. So we're trying to be a little bit more reactive or uh, proactive instead of reactive, because we see reacting doesn't do squat. So. If, yeah. if we don't, we're a, a we're lack of lose. action we is one hundred percent an action. Right now, one side of the room has That's spoken right. up, and if there is no opposition to that side of the room, the groups are going to think that that is the only voice in the room. So that must be the public perception, and everybody agrees with that. And that's what's happening right now. So we that's need to show exactly, that there is a divide. Exactly, it. there is a disagreement here. There is a group that believes that hunting is necessary that predator management is 100 percent necessary and that science-based wildlife management is the right way to go and that's what we need to do because if we don't stand up we don't have those conversations as we know quite a few of these politicians are unaware of what really does happen in the outdoor world it's that you hear it on all of these interviews Um, people say i'm not really sure what's happening with that that's not something i choose to be a part of i trust my you know i trust what i hear i trust my you know the information that i'm gathering here but really what that says is they're listening to the loudest voice they're listening to the loudest voice and that's where they're going to go with so if we're not going to be one of the louder voices our voice will not be heard that's right you saw it you saw it with that you saw it with that press conference i have a hard time believing a constituent of mine would actually take part in something like that what (laughs) that's again he and he even says in there that he hears weekly the premier says he hears weekly from people against the wolf hunt and the before wolf Before he was in, so, his, before he was in his <laughs> position, he said he heard it. weekly from these groups. So that shows you how active the other voice in the room is being. Yep. Now, why is he not hearing weekly That's from right. hunters, from biologists, from individuals saying this is important, this is needed, this is necessary? These mm-hmm. populations are struggling because of this, right? So again, it just comes back to we are not using our voice. Again, we have all the information. We have the statistics. We have the analytics. We have the studies. Like we have evidence of victories in the past where we've helped populations come back and and have huge, huge uh, rebounds, right? So why are we not just shouting that from the rooftops? Why are we letting the other side be the louder group? 
That's right. They may not, like one of the other arguments you see or heard the last couple of weeks is, well, I haven't seen anything about this. Can you show me any proof they're actually doing this? And I've, I've posted screenshots. Like there's one, ban the hunting of cougar, lynx, and bobcat in British Columbia. Petition, 29,000. Takaya's legacy, moratorium on wolf hunting, 72,000. Save BC wolves, 502,000. We're trying to get 25,000. <laughs> so <laughs> if they are, they're, they're constantly in motion. Even if you're not seeing it, they are constantly in motion. And we've made it easy, as Joe said, 15 seconds of your time is all it takes to preserve your, your privilege to hunt and keep animals. It's, it's, it's about more than that. It's about keeping animals on the landscape. Exactly. In, I in think perpetuity. obviously as hunters, we want to maintain our right to be a part of that ecosystem and be a part of that balance because it means Absolutely. a lot to us. But again, it's not this conversation right now, this fight right now, it's not just about the right to hunt. It is about keeping these animals on the hills and, and doing what is right for all That's of right. them. Well, that's just it. If we leave it to raincoats, they're definitely, they've written off the caribou, right? So that's one species they're willing to sacrifice. No, no, like they've stated that mm -hmm. unequivocally. Yep. They're done. Let them go. They're happy with that. Um, the information's there. So, um, and it's interesting, you know, that the, the side, you know, the side that's, a, you know, against our narrative, um, uh, back in the 1990s, there was a statement that there's 4,000 grizzly bears in BC and, um, they're going to be extirpated by 2025 due to hunters. You know, that was the narrative back then. So, you know, that's not going to stop. They're going to, they're going to continue to choose. And uh, Rebecca Bretter in that uh, Mike Smith interview with, uh, with uh, Jesse Zeman, yes. um, I think she made, I, I wrote this quote down because I had a couple inquiries and she, she said, at the end of the day, numbers don't really matter. You will find scientists who will support yeah. either position. Fundamentally, what this comes to is that hunting and the continuation or not continue of it, continuation of it will be dictated by societal values and there's a real shift that is happening. So anyone that thinks that we're not at okay. risk here, that there's no threat, well, uh, even Rebecca Bretter, um, she feels different. So uh, She's an animal right For those that don't know, Google her. She's an animal rights lawyer who's very good at what yeah, she does. For sure. So... Um, okay, guys. So I know we've taken a lot of your time here. We'll come up an hour. What can our listeners do? What do they need to do? Why is it important? Where do they go? What's involved? <laughs> we've, we've said it many times, uh -huh. 15 seconds of your time to sign that, uh, that online letter campaign at wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now. That's it. Just do that. Engage your MLA. Once they send you a letter back, Thank them for their time. Let them know that you respect their time and ask for a meeting. If you need any help with a meeting, reach out to myself, reach out to Kyle, we can reach out to Joe. Any one of us will we'll take some time out of our day to give you a phone call, an email, a text message, whatever is that's going to help you get your message out and clearly that you care about wildlife. Further to that about, as well, right? I think it's extremely important for us to speak up as individuals. But as we mentioned earlier, we're a minority and right. there are so many more people that are have a vested interest in this fight right now that are not part of the hunting shooting fishing community um, have conversations with individuals and just help people become more informed make sure that they're getting the correct information i have had because of this since this has started i have had so many mm -hmm. great conversations with individuals um, who have no interest in hunting who who have don't fish who 
don't really get outdoors, but I've just had great communication with them and I've let them know what's happening. And I've said like, this isn't about, Oh, I'm, I have three deer tags and they're going to try and cut me back to two deer tags just because they're being mean. And science says that that should happen. And, and I don't want it to happen. No, this is about slowly eroding the effective science and database management of the wildlife here. And, and that's what it's about. So have those conversations and educate people. Again, this whole, this whole paper was about the social license to hunt, right? society dictates our social license all of the individuals you come in contact with on a daily basis whether they hunt or not are part of society so the best way we can impact that is have the most conversations we can and inform as many people as we can because clearly up until this point if the other side is winning we have not done an effective job at communicating the truth and that that's all we're trying to do is we're having trying to have conversations about the truth and what's really happening so let's do a better job at having those conversations and yes, obviously, we need the support of everybody on these forums, all of the hunters and fishers and anglers, anglers, sorry, we need all of them. But we need so many more than that, because all of those people in oh, the in between, eventually, they're going to pick a side and we want to make sure that the they have the right information when they make their decision. Well said, Joe. Yeah, fantastic. Gentlemen, uh, any last thoughts, any comments, anything you want to share? I think that's a good, great way to wrap it up. So we'll put all this information in the show notes. And if we can ask you to do one thing, go sign that form if you haven't done so, and then get your friends to do so if you believe in what we're, what we're standing for. Thanks, gents. Have a good evening.